All right. In today's American History Podcast episode, we are going to be talking about the executive branch, mostly the governor. So, uh, let's dive in. What are the qualifications to be governor in Texas? We only have three formal constitutional qualifications that are required to uh, become governor in Texas. Article 4 of the Texas Constitution requires the governor to be at least 30 years old, be a U.S. citizen, and have lived in Texas for five years immediately before election. And Texas governors have tended to be male, white, conservative, Protestant, middle-aged, either personally wealthy or with access to wealth. And had considerable prior uh, political experience. Usually women compose more than 50% of the population in the U.S. and Texas. Only two women have actually served as governor of Texans. The first was Miriam Ferguson in office from 1925 to 27 and again from 33 to 35. And Ann Richards, 91 to 95. So access to money is important because a campaign for Texas governorship can cost tens of millions of dollars, right? Um, and prior to 1974, Texas governors did serve two-year terms. Most were elected to a maximum of two consecutive two-year terms. Um, Rick Perry, though, uh, he served from 2000 to 2014. It is the longest tenure for a Texas governor. So since they have no formal uh, term limit in Texas, there's nothing forbidding that they can serve indefinitely. But gubernatorial elections are held in off years, which are years in which the president is not elected or midterm, and that helps to minimize the effect of presidential elections in choosing the Texas governor. Now, campaigns, uh, very expensive, right? I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Removal of the governor. Say you don't like the governor and what he's doing or she. So in Texas, the only constitutional method for removing a governor from office is by impeachment and conviction. So to impeach means to accuse or to indict. And impeachment is very similar to a true bill indictment by a grand jury. And the Texas Constitution notes that the governor may be impeached but does not give any grounds for impeachment. Possible justifications are failure to perform the duties of governor gross incompetence, and official misconduct. And the impeachment process is similar to the process for impeaching a president. It begins in the Texas House of Representatives. A majority vote of the House is required to impeach or bring charges. Uh, If the House votes for impeachment, the trial takes place in the Texas Senate. One or more members of the House prosecute the case. And the Chief Justice of the Texas Supreme Court of Texas is going to preside over the trial. Two-thirds vote of the senators present is, and voting is necessary to convict. If convicted, the governor is removed from office and disqualified from holding any other state office. And any member of the executive or judicial branch may be impeached. Uh, once the House votes for impeachment charges against someone, that individual is suspended from office and cannot exercise any of their duties. So uh, the only governor we've actually removed 
from office is Governor James Ferguson. He is the only Texas governor to be impeached and convicted. He wanted to remove several members of the faculty at the UT University of Texas at Austin that he opposed. And when he failed to remove them, he vetoed practically the entire University of Texas legislative appropriation. And after these actions led to broader investigation into his conduct as governor, the Tex Texas House voted 21 articles of impeachment against him. And the Texas Senate convicted him on 10. So, yeah. Very rare we actually uh, remove individuals from office in Texas. But when we do, it's usually a pretty apparent case. Now, succession. So, the Texas Constitution provides that the lieutenant governor gets to become governor if the office becomes vacant through impeachment and conviction, death, resignation, or the governor's absence from the state. Uh, compensation. Now, the governor's salary is set by the legislature, and Texas pays its governor $150,000 annually. In addition to that salary, the governor gets full use of an official mansion near the Capitol grounds, and the governor also receives use of a vehicle and a state-owned aircraft in the services of a personal staff. Now, the governor's staff consists of nearly 300 people organized into several divisions. The executive office, headed by the chief of staff, has overall responsibility for staff management and has primary contact with the governor. And the staff uh, helps keep the governor informed about issues and problems facing the state, uh, may suggest courses of action. In addition, during a four-year term, a governor makes about 3,000 appointments to various state posts. Uh, it is impossible for a governor to become personally acquainted with every appointee, so some of the staff find qualified people for each post and just recommend them to the governor. There are some other staff members that track legislation. They talk with legislators, key people in the committees, uh, let the governor know when their personal touch might make a difference in the outcome of a legislation. And for each bill that passes... The legislature, a staff member, prepares a summary with a recommendation that the governor sign or veto. Now, appointment, uh, this is, a lot of people say the governor's most significant executive power. Now, altogether, the governor makes appointments to over 400 multi-member state boards or single-member uh, commissioners that direct the operation of a big wide array of state agencies. Now, the power of appointment allows the governor to exercise power of patronage, you know, rewarding supporters by appointing them to office. And most of these offices um, pay no salary or small salaries. They do offer some supporters prestige. A uh, governor can use the appointment power to repay political favors by appointing friends and associates of legislators to office as well as garner like a political IOU from a politician. Governor can use appointment power to influence agency policy. Uh, some cases, governor shares appointment power with others, uh, like the State Commission on Judicial Conduct, for example. Uh, some other entities that are both advisory and uh, appointed by several different officers. So, but the appointment power of the governor is very, very powerful, yes. Um, 
did you do? So how might the Senate play a role in this? Well, the governor appoints people to office, but the Texas Senate has to confirm them. So because the Senate may not be in session for almost two years after an appointment, the appointment, the appointee takes office immediately, does not wait for the Senate confirmation. Uh, the governor can't ignore how they think the Senate will react to appointees. And so they may feel kind of slighted, you know. So uh, a big limitation on the power of the governor to appoint people to office is informal requirement that the appointee state senator must approve. And this is senatorial courtesy. Uh, it applies regardless of party affiliation of the governor, senator, or appointee. If the appointee senator concurs in the appointment, the remainder of the Senate will agree. If the appointee senator opposes the appointment, the remainder of the Senate will also oppose it. So the process for removing an appointee is uh, pretty complicated. you got to have approval of two-thirds of the Texas Senate uh, require for a governor to remove one of their appointments that refuses to resign. Officially, the Texas governor is uh, the state's chief budget officer. Um, as such, governors submit an executive budget to the legislature. That budget then kind of has a plan for revenue and expenditure for Texas, but indicates the governor's priorities for the state in the next biennium. And uh, the entity responsible for preparing the legislative budget is the legislative budget board. So we have two budgets that are prepared and submitted to the legislature, the executive budget by the governor and the legislative budget by the LBB. So uh, the LBB's budget proposal gets uh, more consideration by the House and Senate than the governor's recommendations. The governor does have some control over the final appropriations bill through the use of the line item veto. So the governor has to have the support of the LBB to impound funds or transfer funds from one agency to another as circumstances changed from the time the money was appropriated. The governor is also a commander-in-chief at the state's National Guard units that when they're not under presidential orders. And these units are headed by the adjutant general who is appointed by the governor. The governor can declare martial law, which suspends most civil authority and imposes military rule over an area to protect lives of property. And so, like in the event of a riot, a flood, a hurricane, tornado, other disaster, martial law can be declared. <clears throat> and in Texas, law enforcement, police power, normally local responsibility. The governor has very few responsibilities in that area. Um, there's a lot of different commissions the governor presides over with all that. But um, just an example of like when Governor Abbott used his military powers uh, in the wake of Hurricane Harvey. He activated the entire Texas National Guard to assist with relief efforts in South Texas as a result of it. And we had about 12,000 Texas National Guardsmen assisting with hurricane relief. So, and you guys all know the uh, legislative powers of the governor. Just go back and look at the Texas Legislature podcast. Uh, judicial powers. Uh, Texas, we do elect all of our appellate and district court judges, but when vacancies occur because of like death, resignation, or retirement, 
or creating a new court, the governor is responsible for appointing people to fill the vacancies. So, um, the governor basically has appointment power concerning his judicial powers. So, uh, in Texas, we have what's called a plural executive to try and limit all that executive power and then disperse it among several different elected officials. So, we elect six of the seven people that make up the plural executive, which are the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, comptroller, public accounts, commissioner of the general land office, and commissioner of agriculture. And the governor appoints the seventh person, which is the secretary of state. Now, all these elections are partisan, of course. Each member of the plural executive may choose to operate independently of the others. Uh, the members may be in competition with each other because of uh, conflicting personal ambitions. The lieutenant governor. So, as far as executive abilities or responsibilities go, the lieutenant governor really... Uh, acts as governor when the governor is out of state and succeeding a governor that resigns is incapacitated or is impeached, right? So lieutenant governor's real power is from its part in the legislative process because he or she is going to sit on a lot of various uh, boards and commissions uh, simultaneously to their role as the president of the Senate. The Attorney General. So the Attorney General is elected to a four-year term, acts as the main lawyer for Texas. It's one of the executive offices, Commissioner of the General Land Office. So this is the oldest state agency in Texas. Uh, the head of the agency, which was the land commissioner, gave away land. Now today, the GLO is the manager for most of the public owned, publicly owned lands in Texas. And Texas owns or has mineral rights in about 13 million acres of land in the state, uh, plus all the submerged lands up to uh, 10.35 miles into the Gulf of Mexico. And so all but 28 of Texas counties, which we have 254 counties, contain some of these public lands. The commissioner manages the uh, Veterans Land Program, which the state makes low-cost loans to Texas veterans as well. Uh, the GLO awards rights for grazing and oil and gas exploration on all that land. The Agriculture Commissioner. The Agriculture Commissioner uh, is mainly responsible for enforcing the agricultural laws, um, administrating animal quarantine laws, inspection of food, enforcement of disease and pest control programs, enforcement of the state's laws helps to ensure that Texas farm products are of high quality and disease free. And farm and ranching, big business in Texas, many small family farms still exist in the state, but large corporate farms increasingly dominate Texas agriculture. And these large agribusinesses are greatly affected by the decisions of the commissioner, which can increase or decrease the cost of production. Right? Uh, the Department of Agriculture uh, checks weights and measures in the state. All the motor fuel pumps make sure they dispense the correct amount of fuel. Scales used by grocery stores and markets, they're checked to guarantee they weigh 
products effectively. The Comptroller of Public Accounts, a very powerful state official because they direct the collection of tax and non-tax revenues and issue an estimate of anticipated state revenues before each legislative session. And the taxes collected by the Comptroller include general sales tax, severance tax on natural resources, business franchise tax, motor fuel tax, inheritance tax, occupational taxes, and some other minor ones as well. Secretary of State, uh, the governor appoints this individual. Uh, the office is an elective one in 37 other states, though. So uh, they, the Secretary of the State is Texas' main election official. So the uh, official budget officer is the comptroller that I mentioned before. <clears throat> but the Secretary of State, they're the election official. So they conduct all the voter registration drives. Uh, their office works with organizations like the League of Women Voters to increase number of registered voters. They collect the election night returns from county judges and county clerks and make the results available to the media. And this service provides media and the voters with a convenient method of receiving the latest official election returns in Texas. Now, the bureaucracy is considered to be part of the executive branch, but it is slightly different. So this is going to be all the uh, boards, commissions, committees, agencies in the state. So we have multi-member appointed boards, right? We also have appointed single executives. So, for instance, the Texas Department of Insurance is run by one commissioner appointed by the governor for a two-year term, confirmed by the Senate. So, um, that's one example, like an appointed single executive. We have multi-member elected boards, like the Railroad Commission, State Board of Education, and uh, like those multi-member appointed boards I mentioned, uh, these have heads appointed by the governor, and some of them are rather obscure kind of agencies. Others are better known, like Texas Alcohol and Beverage, Alcoholic Beverage Commission, sorry, Department of Parks and Wildlife, for instance. So uh, some examples of multi-member elected boards, I mentioned Railroad Commission, State Board of Education. Right, so the Railroad Commission, uh, one of the most powerful state agencies in the country, uh, it not only used to regulate intrastate railroads, trucks, bus transportation, but also supervised oil and natural gas industry in Texas. And for most of its existence, that's been its main focus, is the oil and gas industry. Uh, now, railroads, they fall under... Um, Department of Transportation, Texas Department of Transportation. State Board of Education, uh, they set all the policy for public education, pre-kindergarten to 12th grade uh, programs that are supported by the state government. And so they enforce the SBOE's rules and regulations, the 
education bureaucracy that enforces it is the Texas Education Agency. So these two public bodies, they control public education in Texas by determining the licensing requirements for public school teachers, setting the bare minimum high school graduation criteria, um, also recommending for or advanced curriculums as well, setting the standards for accreditation to public schools, selecting all the textbooks as well. And the SBOE has 15 members. So making them accountable. So in a democracy, elected officials are ultimately responsible to the voters and appointed officials are indirectly accountable to the people through the elected officials who appoint them. Now, both are responsible to legislatures that determine responsibilities and appropriate money to carry out these responsibilities. In Texas, the plural executive is responsible to the legislature for its biennial funding and to the voters for re-election. So all the different agencies, they look to the legislature for funding, and once every 12 years, they have to justify their existence to the Sunset Advisory Commission. And so the 12-member SAC has five members from the Texas Senate, one public member appointed by the lieutenant governor, five members of the Texas House, and one public member appointed by the Speaker of the House. And so the Sunset Advisory Commission, it was created in 1977 by the Sunset Review Act. This set criteria for considering uh, and evaluating the continuing need for an agency. So during its sunset review, an agency has to document its efficiency, the extent to which it meets legislative mandates, its promptness and effectiveness in handling complaints. It must establish the continuing need for its services. The review process is very lengthy, lasting about two years. And so the SAC is then going to recommend one of three actions to the legislature. Uh, Continuing as is, no change in organization or functions. The agency continues, but with some changes to reorganize, maybe a new little focus for the agency, merging with others, or the agency is abolished. So that is the executive branch in Texas.